0: This time, I'll invite you to take a Bible to open. It's a 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 13 in its entirety. As a church family, we take the opportunity at the beginning of the year to go over our mission statement, to love God, to care for all people and to communicate his word that we see that as a summary of the great commandments to love the Lord our God with all our heart soul and mind to love our neighbors ourself and then the great commission that Jesus gave his followers to go into all the world uh, making disciples and baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything that he has commanded the old, Even before Christ summarized the law in that way in the New Testament uh, in deuteronomy that 's how the law was presented as this posture of love of God and love of neighbor and so as we gather together, we want to ensure and, and always check ourselves against Scripture that we are doing what it is that God has put us on this planet to do uh, as the giver of our lives as the redeemer of our souls, we want to love him and express that back in corporate worship but as we believe that and that begins to permeate our lives and our thoughts, hopefully one of the ways it's exhibited the most is in how we love one another. That's what Jesus himself said. He said, the world will know you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And so the care that we show to one another, the love that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ should be one of the primary ways in which the world can say, I think I know who you're following. I know who you're, who you're trying to, to serve and to love because I can see it in the way you uh, care for other people. And then in that care, not only for our own, but our desire to reach out to those who are not yet a part of the family, to share that love with as many people as possible, that we could this morning stand and sing about how much God loves us. And we are surrounded by so many people, and if we're honest, at times, even our own hearts and minds struggle with this to really believe that. And life is hard enough to go through it thinking you are unloved, to thinking that you don't have a purpose on this planet. And so for anyone who's in that situation and circumstance right now, that is going through the challenges or even many of the things that we identify as prayer requests, and doesn't feel loved, doesn't feel supported by their creator and maker, uh, it makes it even harder And so for us, the natural overflow of what Christ has told us to do is to share that message with anyone that will listen to us. This is often called in 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter of love, and you'll soon find out why. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, There are some things articulated so well that it feels inappropriate to add anything. <laughs> this is one of those passages. It just almost feels wrong to now add any of my words to how well Paul articulated the nature of true love because I can't improve upon it. He wrote it in Greek, in English, in translation. It's still amazing. <laughs> This is what love really is when it is unconditionally lived out. And when the Apostle John says that God is love, as we read through this description of love defined according to the scriptures, we are in awe of all the ways in which God loves us. And so I I hope that what I do say, uh, one, I acknowledge it won't improve any of it or hopefully not take away from it, but just maybe help with some of our uh, misunderstandings or misconceptions when we come to this chapter that prevent us from seeing it in all of its beauty. But Paul is coming to the subject as he's written a letter to a church. They're going through all kinds of problems. They're not doing a great job at caring for one another or showing love to one another. And he has gotten a report of this. And so he's written to them about different things that have been going on and challenges. Some direct questions have been given to Paul. He's responded to those questions, but now he's shifted his emphasis instead of dealing with specific conflicts that are going on in the church, he's speaking more generally about how they can focus on a few things that would apply to every area that he has addressed up until now. And he starts this chapter off almost with a hyperbole. Uh, As we read it, it's this interesting contrast of all and nothing. And so we, we read him describing that there are times when even giving all really means nothing. And it's supposed to shock us, if you will, when we consider it. In the previous chapter, he talked about spiritual gifts and the different kinds of gifts that there are. And that God has given gifts to each and every one of us. But now he starts off by saying, so even if you have some of those gifts and some of the ones that even would be considered more miraculous or spectaculars, the the ones that people would be really impressed by if you could do this. He says, even if you had the tongues of men and angels, but you didn't have love, it's just nails on a chalkboard. There's no sweet music that comes from it. Even if you had not just mysteries or knowledge or faith, but he says, even if you had all mysteries and all knowledge and all faith to remove mountains but have not love he says I'm nothing if I give away all I have if I even offer my own body as a sacrifice but have not love I gain nothing we'd almost want to interrupt and say wait a minute come on Paul (laughs) isn't it still worth something if someone gives away everything if someone understands all mysteries, if someone has all faith. And so he's, he's making this contrast to, to wake us up in our reading. If we've gotten to chapter 13 and we started you know drifting and falling asleep in what Paul was saying, no, it is possible to physically do almost everything God would ask of us, but to do it in a way that denies the very reasons why he asks us to do it. There is nothing that we do, even as Christians, that's neutral. Sometimes we'll think, you know, prayer is always a good thing. And it is, except there's wrong ways to pray. We can even use prayer to basically be selfish and only ask things for ourselves. So one of the ways the question was put to me was, if all your prayers were answered, would your world be better or would the whole world be better? I was like, oh, (laughs) that hurts. That hurts. I think maybe my world would be better. I'm not sure how much of the rest of the world would be better in the course of my prayers. Uh, when it comes to even sacrificial giving, there are all kinds of motivations or desires that we can have in doing things that we, we give so as to get something, to manipulate a situation. Paul's saying nothing's neutral. It's, all, it's possible for each and every one of us, even in our obedience, to sacrifice to knowledge, to faith, to miss the point of what it is that God really wants from us. And if I were to poll most of you and say, Well, what is it that would make God just smile down upon you this morning and say, There's my daughter, there's my son, look at what they're doing, we would most of us would revert back to a sense of thinking about the things we have to accomplish did I do enough? Did I share enough? Did I say enough? Instead of the simple joy as to whether or not we're growing in our love for him and our love for others. That what he wants most from us is our heart. He's powerful enough to manipulate any situation he wants. He's not organized the world to simply say, what I care most about is things getting done. But what he longs for the most is to see when things are done from a posture of love, from a heart that desires to obey him. And there's something about the nature of true love and true worship that they can never be forced. If it's forced, it takes away from the reality of it. And so just even in our own, whether it's friendship, whether it's parenting, When all you've got to say is, well, I'm just doing this because I have to, it doesn't sound very loving all of a sudden. But when someone says, no, no, this is what I want to do, I want to spend time with you, I want to make this sacrifice for you. And so I'm not asking anyone to keep a checklist and say, well, how much did you sacrifice and how much time did you spend? And once you get that checked off, you can go do something else. That's not the posture of love. If we love to do something, even in doing it, it, it only, we only desire to do it more. And God wants our hearts. It is possible that we could give all and it be nothing when what we don't give to God is our hearts. And so that's why when we even think about the series of loving God and caring for others and communicating his word, we start with loving God because if that isn't the foundation, that all of these other things can actually become substitutes for what God really desires from us. And we don't want in any way to provide substitutes to the reality. The reality is, it is giving, it is caring, it is talking to one another, caring for each other's burdens. But that can only be sustained well enough over a long period of time if it flows from a posture of love. Love is the only thing that sustains that kind of sacrificial giving over a period of time. Love is the only thing that takes knowledge and power and uses it for the good of other people rather than using it for our own good. And so Paul tries to wake us up and say, listen, there are times when even everything we could do or give really is nothing or we could miss, entirely miss the boat if it doesn't flow from a posture of love. But then he contrasts that They say, so if these are all the things that we could do and love still not be a part of it, this is what it would look like if love is primary. When we're really doing things out of love, here's all the things we can do and not have love. But here are the types of things you can't do without it. (laughs) Because this flows from love. This is verses four through seven. Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy. boast it is not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way it is not irritable or resentful it does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things and then verse 8 and this love never ends when love is primary in everything we do. No longer are we having an evaluation of, well, do you have this cool gift and I have this gift that doesn't feel as cool? or Are you able to get this done and I'm able to get that done? You you just, you completely change the way you evaluate and measure things and say every one of us, whatever we have, whatever our capabilities can be patient and kind. We can choose not to envy or boast to not insist on our own way, but to rejoice with the truth. That is something that all of us are capable of doing. And when that's what's really experienced among us, you walk away from an environment like that and whatever else we got done, you knew you were somewhere you were loved. And it's hard to define just how much a sense of security and safety comes into our, our minds and our hearts when we know that that's the environment that we're surrounded in. Where we're really loved in this way with patience and kindness, where someone's not trying to force us to do anything. They want what's good for us. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, so it doesn't mean it's a kind of love that just says yes and affirms every decision we make because we make a lot of bad decisions. And sometimes love confronts us on those things but when we know that it comes from the posture of someone who truly cares about us, when love is primary, then we will have the ability to listen to those, even those harsher realities. Uh, and so It's a phrase that's often said that uh, people won't care how much you know unless they know that you care. All right, that's what Paul's getting at. In ordinary relationships, you can sit around anyone and say who's smarter or not, who knows more about this or that. But when the environment is one of love for one another, then all of that knowledge, all of that gifting, instead of being competition, is just blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace. And when sometimes First Corinthians 13 is described as the chapter of love, some people think of it as, oh, this is a chapter about marriage. And it's not about marriage. Paul addresses marriage many times in this letter. He's not talking about marriage. Everything he says applies to you if you are someone today who is married. (laughs) This is how love should be. But this is how love applies if you're a parent to a child or if you're a child to a parent. This is what love looks like to a sibling of yours. This is what love should look like to a neighbor or a co-worker or a friend. Now, the people that have the closest proximity to us, who are our neighbors, who we do work alongside of five days a week, who we do go home to every night, of course, all of this should apply to them. But this isn't a romantic version of love that any one of us could walk away from and say, oh, I just haven't found that yet. I'm still hoping to. No, this is a description of love that can be characteristic of every relationship we have because the person on the planet who lived this out the best was Jesus Christ who himself was never married on this earth and he had no limitations on how he could love people. He still sets the bar the highest for what it means to love other people, to care about them, to give them that sense of security and safety and knowing that they're safe because love was primary in everything that he did. And so in that, love doesn't wait. (laughs) Love initiates. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. In my love for people, I'm going out of my way, not seeking my own, not insisting on my own, but doing what I can to help someone who's in a situation that needs support and encouragement and care. And so if that Jesus said to all of his disciples that the primary way in which people will know that we're his followers is to love like him. Yes, that means marriage if that's part of the equation, but it means parenting. It means friendship. It means sibling relationships. It means loving your grandparents. It means grandparents loving their grandchildren and everything in between. That as we follow Christ, he will continually to challenge us to make love primary. And then as he describes it at the end, he says, this kind of love, the blessing of it when we allow it to be primary for us. So this is the one thing that will just continue to grow over time and even into eternity. He says, there's gonna be a day that comes When whoever has the gift of prophecy, prophecies will end. There's going to come a time when whoever has the gift of knowledge and wisdom, it won't be needed. That will end. One of the reasons to make love primary in everything we do is because this is something that we can commit to now and invest in that just continues to grow. And so, in the experience of heaven forever with God, we won't have faith anymore because we'll see, we'll know. We won't need someone else to prophesy for us what the reality is because we'll all know it equally. But what we would never exhaust is then the enjoyment of that in a loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so if we give ourselves to it, we are giving ourselves to one of the most difficult things in the world to love like this but then we are giving ourselves completely to the one reality that we know endures forever. And so he says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Are you like me in that when you read this chapter, you're incredibly convicted at how not loving you are? (laughs) This is a high bar. Some people will say, uh, as they characterize the scripture, you know, in the Old Testament, there were all these rules. In the New Testament, everything's based on love with the sense that like it was all hard back then and now it's easy. Whereas if you really read what Jesus asks us in love, it's not easier. In some ways, life is easier just based on technology and things, advances in modern medicine. But Jesus, when he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, said, you've heard it said you shouldn't murder anyone. I'm telling you, don't even hate them. Don't be angry at them without a cause. Which one of those is harder? I think I can hate someone and just hold it down and drive away. But Jesus is saying, I'm not not actually telling you that's great. I'm saying, try even not to do that. Try to love them. And I'm telling you to even love your enemies. The Old Testament said, don't violate the covenant of your marriage by having any relationships with someone outside of your marriage. Don't commit adultery. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, you better be consistently loving your spouse. And so even in your mind and in your words and your emotions, not loving anyone else in the way that you have promised to love your spouse. Again, you read that and you're like, who can do that perfectly? It's a, it's a high bar when we consider what love requires. When we ask the question, what's legal and illegal? Uh, we still can struggle there but when we ask the question what does love require of us we realize we've asked a question that doesn't have an end when we really love some we'll always desire more for them and better for them and greater but this isn't meant to be a burden on us it can feel like it if we hear it the wrong way but everything here being described is the way in which God loves us He loves us like this. And when he asked the question, what does love require for all of these people? And the answer was, it requires the death of your son on a cross. He did it. So that he could give to all of his children the promise of eternal life. His love had no limits. It's, it, it's the the best source of motivation for the songs that we sing. And that's why uh, Jerry and the team chose all their songs this morning based on love. There's no greater attribute of God that we could lift up than that sacrificial love that he had for us. So we don't want to come to a passage like this and one minimize it because we say it only applies in one context. It applies everywhere. But we also don't want to come to it and miss out on the fact that God is ultimately the one who loves us the most. And in that love, this is what he wants to pass to the world through us. In his love for us, he wants to build us up and say, I want you to love other people like this and I wanna give you what you need to do it. So that the very first verse of the next chapter in 14, he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy So if you will, he's almost imagining that someone's saying, well, if we we get love right, then all those other things don't matter. He's saying, no, no, it's still okay to pursue prophecy. It's still okay to pursue spiritual gifts. But do it all together. Once you know the right motivation and the right reason to do it, now go do everything in love. None of, knowledge isn't bad, faith isn't bad, prophecies aren't, none of those things are bad. We make them bad if we do it without love. But when love becomes primary and it's the thing that we wanna grow in, now in love, he invites us to grow in every other way. If you really love someone, you want to grow in your knowledge of them. You want to know more practically how to help people. You wanna gain skills that other people need that they could be benefited by. None of those things become wrong, but we pursue them the best and we enjoy them the most when we do it from a posture of love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have created the church to be a place where we can love one another and show to the world that we are your disciples, that we really follow you, the most loving one, and we pray that in any ways that the enemy of our souls wants to convict us so that we despair when you want to assure us and encourage us of just how great your love is, that you would help us to silence the voice of the enemy and to to hear you speak to us of your patience and your kindness, of your willingness to lay down your life for our good, so that nothing we would do in this world would, would function as a, a substitute or as a way to make up for our own insecurities, the ways that we don't feel loved, but out of the fullness of what you've done and what you've given, we would be able to love other people. Father, we confess that in this broken world, it seems like the, the message is louder and stronger, that we are alone, that there isn't a plan, that there isn't a purpose. And so we need the tenderness of your voice to speak into our hearts that we can trust you. And we confess, we long for the day when prophecies will end, when faith will end and all will be love. But until that day, we pray that you would give us everything we need to love you and to love others. In Jesus' name, amen.